Good morning. If you haven't met me, my name is Jason Abril. I'm the assistant pastor here at Grace. And it is such a pleasure to see all of you this morning. You never know how many people to expect on a holiday weekend. You really don't. And we have what seems like record numbers, a packed house, and that's great. I'm glad that you all chose to spend this morning with us. Thank you. So, if you've been with us for the summer, you'll know that we've been doing a short series on the Psalms. And Pastor Ryan actually finished that up last week, going over Psalm 139, looking at the intimacy with which God knows us. And next week, we'll be starting our fall series, which will be over Genesis and the life of Joseph. And kind of in the in-between time now, we have a one-off, which is great because I get to preach whatever I want. So I picked one of my favorite books of the Bible, uh, Hebrews, and I picked the start of one of my favorite passages, and now I get to preach it to you. So the book of Hebrews, it's, it's a great book. If you haven't read it in a while, um, it'll be a little strange for you, but I'd encourage you to read it. It will nourish your soul like nothing else. Uh, it was written probably around 30 years after the resurrection. Um, it was written to Jewish Christians who were thinking about leaving Judaism. And the author had one message in that book that he repeated again and again and again. Jesus is better. That's the refrain from the entire book. Jesus is better than anything else in the world. And so, as we start off this passage of, that I'm going to do, it's the it's this first warning passage about leaving the faith. So with that kind of as an intro, let's pray, and then we'll dive in. Father, this is a glorious day, and we thank you for it. Lord, we know that whatever our own personal reasons are for being here in the sanctuary, Lord, we are here for one ultimate reason, and that's because you have called us here. You have called us to worship you. And that's an amazing privilege that you have given us. It's not only a privilege, Lord, but it's a gift. Because it's through worshiping you with our brothers and sisters that we become truly alive. Thank you. Jesus, we know, Lord, that you are our true worship leader. You are the true preacher. You are the true word to us. Thank you. Thank you for coming to us. Thank you for dying for us. Thank you for raising to new life and raising us with you. Holy Spirit, we, we pray that you manifest yourself very powerfully and potently here today. That you be active. Move in our hearts any barriers that we might have to hearing the word preached. We ask, Lord, that you remove those from our hearts. Anything that's troubling our minds, we ask, Lord, that you quiet so that we can 
pay attention to what you have to say about our great Savior this morning. It's in his precious name that we pray, amen. So, like many young kids, I was in the Boy Scouts. And that was a, that was a great experience. And the summer after my sixth grade year, I got the opportunity the very first time to go to scout camp. And that was a week-long camp, and it just sounded amazing. The people uh, in the scout troop talked it up a lot. And there were going to be so many activities. You could do archery. You could learn how to make knives. You could do all the water sports you wanted. And that's what I wanted to do. I wanted to go kayaking and fishing and canoeing and diving. It sounded awesome. And so we packed up. We got on the bus, we drove for what seemed like an eternity, we finally got to the camp, we unloaded, we got to our campsite, we put up our tent, and I was immediately in my swimsuit and headed down to the water. And it was like a picture of a brochure looking at it. There was a river that ran straight through camp. And over here there was a swing, uh, one of those rope swings. And there was a kid just launching himself into the river. And there were canoes and kayaks. Like I said, it was like the picture of a brochure. It was awesome. And so I went down and I got in line so I could sign up for all this stuff. And the counselor said, do you have your swimmer's merit badge? And I was like, why no, I do, I do not. And he said, well then I'm sorry, but you can't do any of this stuff. You can't actually sign up for any of this stuff at all because you have to have your swimmer's merit badge in order to do any of this stuff. So for now, feel free to play in the kiddie pool. That was horrible. And it must have shown on my face because he very quickly said, but we do do the swimmer's merit badge here. So if you want to show up tomorrow... After breakfast, we'll start going over the training, and I'll lay out exactly what you need to do. You can take the test as many times as you need to. You only have to pass it once. I was like, great, let's do that. So the next day, I showed up, and he broke it down, showed me, you know, all the swimming, I don't know, what do you call them? Uh, <laughs> strokes, yes, thank you. My mind went blank. And uh, showed me some other cool stuff, like how to make flotation devices out of my pants. And, you know, that was all neat. Well, after one or two hours in swimming class, I was like, yeah, I'm ready. And so I went out and I got in line to test for the merit badge. And the way it worked, there were like four buoys set out there. And so you had to swim from buoy to buoy to buoy all around, changing your stroke each time. And seems simple enough. And so I get out there, and I'm swimming, and I'm swimming, and I'm swimming. And I get to uh, about halfway point of the first buoy. And I'm like, i got to be there soon. Man, and I looked up. I was like, uh, okay. So I swam, and I swam, and I swam. And I finally got to that first buoy. And there's a counselor there, and he said, all right. Change to the backstroke. And I'm like, great. I love the backstroke. And so I started doing the backstroke. 
And after a while, I was like, I got to be there soon. But then I thought, well, you thought that last time, though, Jason. No, you better just keep going. So I just kept going and going and going. And eventually I heard somebody yell, Jason! And I looked up, and I turned around, and I looked at the buoy, but the buoy wasn't there. And I looked over here, and the buoy wasn't there, though there were some kayaks over here. And I looked over here, and the buoy wasn't there. And so I turned around again, and the buoy was all the way back there, about as far away as I had started, but on the other side. And I couldn't understand what happened. They explained it to me afterwards. But it's a river. There's a current. And what had happened, I hadn't been looking where I was going. And I wasn't a very good swimmer, particularly going backwards. And so I had gotten off course. And I had gotten into that current. And that current just started sweeping me along. And I was just paddling along with it very blindly. Have you ever felt like that? Had that feeling? Not necessarily, of course, in a river, but in anything, any, any time that you would look up after a long time and look around and think, how in the world did I get here? And how in the world am I, am I going to get back to where I need to go? I think all of us have probably felt something like that at some point, and that's what the author of the book of Hebrews is speaking to in this first passage, in this first warning passage. He's, he's seeing Christians that are starting to drift away from the truth of the gospel, and he wants to prevent that. He wants to prevent being carried away by the currents of life. So, let's read what the author of Hebrews has for us. Now, I'm old-fashioned. I like to stand when we read. So, let's please stand. We'll read from Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. You can read along in your Bibles, or it'll be on the screen behind me. Hebrews chapter 2. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared to us by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or disobedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit distributed according to his will. Thus far the reading of God's word, all men are like grass and all their glories are like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but not God's word, it stands forever. So let's turn our attention to it. Please be seated. Amen. So today we're going to look at three things from this passage. We're going to look at what does it mean to drift away? 
We're going to look at what are the warning signs of drifting away. And we're going to look at what we can actually do about that, how we can prevent ourselves from being carried away in the current of life. So first, what does it mean to drift away? Like I said, the author was writing to Jewish Christians who they were thinking about leaving Christianity. And the reason that they were thinking about leaving Christianity is because they were coming under persecution. Life was becoming very hard for them. And they weren't just being persecuted by the Romans, they were also being persecuted by their fellow Jews. They were losing family members. Being ostracized by the only society that had ever accepted them. They were under intellectual and spiritual assault. People questioning them all the time why they were leaving the mainstream Judaism. And part Part of that assault revolved around Jesus. Well, all of it revolved around Jesus. Part of that assault revolved around the Jews saying that Jesus was not as good as what they had already been given. And in particular, you know, it's really weird for us to read like the first chapter of the book of Hebrews because. The majority of the first chapter, the author spends proving that Jesus is better than angels. And that just seems weird to us because we're like, of course Jesus is better than angels. He's the son of God. But to Jewish people, he was just a man. And angels were by their very nature divine beings and therefore they were better. And so... The author of the Hebrew of the book to the Hebrews was looking around and he was seeing some of the Christian Jewish people nodding along. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I can see that that argument bears some weight. You know, of course Jesus isn't better than an angel. And he's like, no, no. You're drifting away from the truth. Drifting away from what? From what they had heard. It's a wonderfully ambiguous phrase that he gave us. What had they heard? They had heard the message of great salvation that was declared to them by Jesus. And they were in danger of drifting away from the truth of the gospel. And the author very correctly sees this as just a huge problem he's seeing the jewish christians repudiate their faith repudiate jesus and he says wait a minute wait a minute you think angels are so good don't you know that the covenant that they mediated to you the law drifting away from that that's what we did as a nation and every every transgression of that was met with a just retribution he tells them and calls to mind their own history as a people. They went into exile. They were brought back by the mercy of God, some of them. No. Jesus is so much better than angels. He had just showed that. Drifting away from his message of great salvation, that will leave them without any hope, without any mercy. And, of course, this seems a little basic to us, right? 
of course, drifting away from the gospel is bad, Jason. You know, I'm spending a holiday weekend here in church listening to a sermon. Let's move on. But the problem is with basic things that we tend to overlook them. We tend to move by them way too quickly. You know, I was pretty sure before I was stuck out in the middle of a river being carried away by the current that being in that situation would have been a bad idea. And yet it happened because I didn't pay attention to the basics. So we have to ask very carefully, how are the currents of this world pulling at us? Are we in danger of actually drifting away from the truth of the gospel? But before we can answer that, we need to know what does drifting away look like? We know what it looked like for them. It looked like going back to Judaism, holding up angels as better than Jesus, holding up Moses and Abraham as better than Jesus, holding up the priesthood as better than Jesus. So what does it look like for us? When I was thinking about this, preparing the sermon, the parable of the sower came to mind. You know the parable of the sower? So it's from Matthew chapter 13. It's the first parable that Jesus uh, said. It's the first one recorded anyway. And it shows us, in it, Jesus shows us a picture of people who hear the gospel. And very loosely and very briefly, it goes like this. There's a sower, that's a farmer. He's sowing seed, he's scattering seed. And some of the seed falls on the path, and it immediately gets snatched up by birds. And some of the seed falls on rocky ground, and it sprouts up. But because it's rocky ground, it can't take any root. So the sun comes and bakes it and kills it. And some of the seed falls off the path where the brambles are. And it sprouts up, but the brambles grow and choke it until it dies. And then he explains the parable to his disciples. And he says, listen, the seed that's being cast about, it's the gospel. And the different types of grounds that I'm talking about, those are those are people. Those are how people hear the gospel. And so people who are the path, you know, they hear the gospel being preached, but it doesn't make any impact on their heart. It doesn't move them at all. They don't realize that they need it. They don't realize that this is actually their lifeblood. And Jesus says that it's actually Satan that comes in and snatches the way snatches away the gospel before they can hear it properly. And then he says that the rocky soil are the people that have no root for their faith. They receive the gospel with great joy at first, but then trials and suffering comes, and the trials and suffering kill their faith. And they walk away. And the thorny ground... Those are people who receive the gospel with great joy again. But then the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches come in and choke out the joy that they have and their faith dies. And I think these are pretty good pictures of what it looks like 
on the ground to drift away. And given them, I think we can evaluate ourselves. And we need to ask ourselves and each other, because we are one body. We need to ask ourselves and each other hard questions sometimes. How often do we push aside our prayer time or Bible reading for something more important? That's a big one for me. You know, unless I militantly schedule my Bible reading and prayer time and actually have it on my calendar and have my phone alert me, I don't do it. Because something else always gets in the way. Something else always presses in and seems to be more important at the time. And, oh, I'll do that in a couple of hours. Oh, I'll do that tonight. Oh, I'll do that in the morning because I'm tired. When trials and suffering come, which they do come, what's our reaction? Do we run to God as our refuge, as our strength, as our sustainer, as our friend and protector? Or do we go to him and demand answers? Why is this happening to me? Why did you do that, God? Or maybe we don't do either. Maybe the pain is just too much and we wouldn't dare to speak to God that way. And so instead, we do whatever it is we can to numb the pain. Another glass of wine, another project at work, another hobby to add in, something, anything, so that we don't have to think about the troubles and trials. How much time do we spend every day thinking about Christ, about the gospel? Sometimes I, I like to play little mind games with myself, and I think, hey, what if there was a program that would just catalog every single thought, every single moment that I had, and it would say, this, this one was about God, and this one was about politics, and this one was about um, COVID, that would probably be like 90% of my thoughts. Um, I wonder how everything would shake out. You know, what would dominate? What would dominate for you? Would it be Christ and his gospel? I hope so. For me, I think many days it would not be. It would be cares of the world intruding in. And these are hard questions, but we, they are ones that we have to ask. And it's ex especially important now. You know, Ryan and I went off to GA, that's General Assembly. That's uh, a meeting of our denominations, pastors and elders, like all of them from across the denomination, across the country, meeting in one spot, fellowshipping, worshiping, and hashing out some good, if frustrating, business. And one of the things that came out of that, one of the things that was um, taught in one of the seminars that I attended was that in the wake of COVID, from the time span from February 2020 to GA, which was the last of June of 2021, 
20 to 30% of people in all churches, across all denominations, almost all anyway, stopped going to church completely with no plan to start attending again. And that's drifting away in a major way. And we pray and we hope that those people come back. But we're not immune to that. We are not immune to that. So what's the answer? How can we prevent ourselves from being carried away by the currents of this life? Well, the author himself says it right in the first sentence. We must pay much closer attention to what we have heard. What does that mean? Do we need to schedule more time in self-reflection? Well, yes, we do. Do we need to concentrate harder in sermons? Yes, we do. Do we need to read our Bibles and pray more regularly? Yes. The answer to all of those is yes. But the problem is that doing those things is a lot like practicing how to swim. And by doing them, as we practice them, we can get better at swimming against the current of life. We can. But what happens when a pandemic hits? What happens when the rains fall and the rivers rise and the currents sweep us away? What happens then? We don't just need to learn how to swim better. No, we need to tie ourselves to an anchor. So how do we do that? Well, the writer gives us the answer, actually, in a few verses. I'll read starting in verse, chapter 2, verse 8. Now, in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his control. At present, we do not yet see everything in subjection to him, but we see him, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, namely Jesus crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. For it was fitting that he, for whom and by whom all things exist, in bringing many sons to glory, should make the founder of their salvation perfect through suffering. For he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one source. That is why he is not ashamed to call them brothers." Skipping down to verse 14, therefore, since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise partook in the same things, that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. For surely it is not to angels that he help. it is not angels that he helps, but he helps the offspring of Abraham. And therefore, he had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. For because he himself has suffered when tempted, he is able to help those who are being tempted. Isn't that amazing? Did you catch what just happened there? His answer to how can we keep to, from drifting away is to retell the gospel story. 
things seem out of control and we don't see Jesus reigning over everything, but we do see him crowned with glory and honor because he suffered unto death that he might taste death for us. More than that, he knows us. He knows our sin. He knows it thoroughly because it was put on him and he is not ashamed of us. How amazing is that? That in Christ, you are his family, and he is not ashamed of you, and never will be. No, he loved us so much that he put on our flesh and blood. He took on all the suffering that comes in this life, all the miseries that we experience, and more. And he experienced death on the cross, taking all of our sin and all of its punishment upon himself. Also, that he could free us from the fear of death and slavery to Satan. And because he suffered through temptation, we can truly trust that he can and will help us in ours. Friends, the only way you will be able to swim in and against the currents of life at all is by knowing that you are tethered to Christ. You cannot be washed away, not completely, if you are in Christ because he is your rock and nothing can move him. For all of your sinfulness, he's not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed for you to be in his family and he will not let you go. He will not cast you away. And the longer you walk with Jesus, the more you trust in him, the more you will enjoy those swimming lessons. The more you will enjoy reading your Bible. The more you will glory in coming to church every Sunday morning and not feel it a burden, but feel it a joy and one that you would never give up because you know that here, here is where life truly meets you where you are glorifying God with your brothers and sisters. As I close today, I, I would encourage you, take the warning of this passage seriously. It is serious. Like I said, across all denominations, 20 to 30% have not come back to church and have given no indication that they will. And that's just from a pandemic. Stay alert for the warning signs. But when you notice them, you don't need to despair. Because it's something that every Christian experiences. No, you don't need to despair. Because Jesus is with you. When you, feel, when you feel the currents of this world pulling on you, threatening to wash you away, don't keep it to yourself. We always like to try to fix things ourselves. Don't do that. That is a recipe for disaster. No. What do you do when you're in a river and you're threatened to be washed away by the current. You cry out. You seek help. 
from anybody, anybody who is there who can throw you a life preserver. Cry out to God, cry out to your family in Christ. Friends, if you are in Christ, you do have an advocate before the Father. A great high priest who is able to help you. So when you feel this way, go to God in prayer. Confess your drifting. And know that Christ has already laid claim to you. Rest in his finished work. And thank him for giving you such a great salvation. Let us pray. Father, we thank you, Lord. For looking down on our sad estate of sin and misery. And not being content to leave us here. But instead. But instead colluding with Jesus and saying son I want those people Jesus thank you thank you for the eternal covenant that you made with the father that when you saw us you echoed with the father father I want those people Thank you for making that happen. Thank you for coming to earth and living the life that we should all live and dying the death that we should all die. All so that you could call us brothers and sisters. All so that we could be part of your family forever. Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, we thank you for being the tether, the chain. The one who ties us to our great brother, our great rock. Jesus Christ in whose love that we will always stand because he will never let us go. Amen.